I got started last week. I did not get finished, and I'm not sure I'm going to get through tonight. We'll just see how it, how it goes. Um, uh, the title of this is Be Aware, and this is all online. Uh, spiritual renewal brings uh, personal attacks from the enemy. So I just want to, you know, to be forewarned. Somebody said this, to be forearmed. I do want to, I just felt like I also need to mention, you know, I, I write a blog most days, Monday through Friday. I encourage you to get on to uh, website, check that out, uh, and I have a website, MitchHorton.com, which links right to our website at church, and uh, you can access it there. Also, every Tuesday and Thursday, I have a podcast. That's uh, 20-plus minutes long or so, and I'm just sharing different things. So encourage you to um, uh, check that out. You can listen to the podcast as you commute to work or whatever, but uh, maybe a blessing to you. Uh, last week, I started talking about uh, just the attacks that come when you aggress towards God. When I when I came to Jesus, uh, when I was almost 18, I just didn't realize uh, that the enemy didn't like you coming to Jesus. You know, he will leave you alone if you'll be like everybody else. Have you figured that out? But when you make a decision, I'm turning my life around. I'm giving my life to Jesus, and I am not going to look back. Well, you know, you sort of become a target. The good news is that greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. The good news is, nay, and all these things were more than conquerors through him that loved us and gave himself for us. The good news is, if God be for us, who can be against us, right? With success. So uh, anyway, uh, I, so last week I started talking about the fact that, you know, attacks come when you when you make personal commitments, and they, they come in varying ways. Uh, uh, first of all, when you first turn your life to Jesus, sometimes after being born again and then going a step further and being filled with the Holy Spirit, you'll find additional attacks. And then, and, and then when you find what God has for you in your life, as far as your, what He's called you to do and be, not everybody's called like me into full-time ministry. Some are, but everybody's got a ministry, yes or no. And when you find what God's called you to do, We'll see the enemy wants to keep you from going there, so he'll just set up roadblocks and various things. So if you're aware of that, then you can kind of fend them off. And I gave lots of uh, scripture last week. We looked at that, and then we kind of took a turn at the very end, and the Holy Spirit kind of fell on us at the end of the meeting last Wednesday. But I uh, started talking about, you know, when Jesus started his ministry at age 30, he was like every other little boy till age 30, you know. He uh, worked in his dad's carpenter shop. He had, to, he had to grow up. It's odd to think that Jesus was the Son of God. And, and listen, his mind had to develop. His uh, body had to develop. His, his spiritual life had to develop and grow. Although he was the Son of God, although he preexisted that baby in the manger, you know, he chose to live like you and me and chose to develop like you and me. It's a crazy thing to think about, isn't it? He chose to develop. So he's, he's reading uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, preparing for his bar mitzvah. At age 12, he had to recite all the first five books of the Bible they called the Torah. He had to recite that to become an adult male in Israel. So he's doing that, and he's finding out who he is. Isn't that amazing? And so the Holy Spirit witnessed to him, that's you, that's you, that's you, whoa, because he laid aside the power of the office of the Son of God, but he was a pure 100% man, and he was pure 100% God. Isn't that amazing to think about? So, you know, just to think about that, it takes a while, doesn't it? So, so, so Jesus just lived like everybody else, but age 30, when he was baptized by his first cousin in the Jordan River, things changed when the Holy Spirit came on him. And he started his ministry. Uh, 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 warriors became warriors at age 30 in Israel. And Jesus started his ministry at age, uh, age 30. It all kind of parallels together. And the enemy immediately 
after Jesus was uh, baptized, he went to go seek God, and that's really smart. If you're in ministry, the first thing you want to do is seek the Lord and get what you share from Him. So he went into the wilderness, and that's when the enemy attacked him. And then at the, the, maybe the most crucial time of, of Jesus' ministry, really just before he gave his life for us and became our sin, the enemy attacked him perhaps uh, in, in the craziest ways uh, by one of his uh, 12 apostles actually turning against him, Judas. So we talked about all that last week, and then we went through the book of Acts and looked at all the times that the enemy attacked over and over and over again as the early church grew, as the gifts of the Spirit manifested. And uh, as the work of God continued in that region of the world, the enemy constantly set up roadblocks, constantly had the government attack them, constantly had the religious people. How many know religious people don't like it when you make aggression towards God? Because it's not same-o, same-o. It's different, and you're moving, and you're, you're moving forward, and your life's making impact. The enemy doesn't like it either. So tonight, I want to talk about Satan's methods of attack. And, you know, the, the backdrop of this is we have authority over him. And uh, that's at the very end of my notes, and I'll probably take the whole time and talk about that authority. But tonight, I want to talk about his, begin talking about his methods of attack. I've got this uh, quote from Sun Tzu. It's S-U-N-T-Z-E, and this is written uh, 2,500 years ago uh, from a book called The Art of War. Now, again, he was a Chinese uh, warrior, and I guess people in the military, y'all required to read that? Is it required reading anywhere? Not really, but it's a really good book, and I've read... Uh, most of the book, but I've got three quotes from that book that really impacted me because uh, he understood how to win battles. And how many know the Christian life is a battle? It's not always easy. If you're looking for an easy life, the Christian life is not an easy life. And if you make it an easy life, you're going to be a poor Christian. That went over big. <laughs> it's just the way it is. But it's a joyful life. It's a full life. It's an amazing journey. It's a miraculous life, would you say? So uh, Sun Tzu, uh, The Art of War, says this. Three quotes. Number one, if you know the enemy and know yourself, you need not fear the results of a hundred battles. Now, isn't that great? So first of all, know yourself. You don't know yourself till you know Jesus. When you know Jesus and who you are in Him, you really know yourself. If you say you know yourself and you don't know who you are in Christ, you'll fail in life. Yes or no? So if you know the enemy and know yourself, you need not fear the results of a hundred battles. If you know the enemy. So you can know yourself, but if you don't know the enemy and how he's going to confront you, it'll, it could waylay you. So secondly, if you know yourself, but not the enemy, for every victory gained, you will also suffer a defeat. So that means you're stalemate. You, you don't move forward. You stay where you are. You take a step forward, two steps forward, take two steps back because he's constantly pushing. So if you know yourself but not the enemy, for every victory gained, you'll also suffer a defeat. Then lastly, number three, if you know neither the enemy nor yourself, hmm, you'll succumb in every battle. Wow. So, so that's why, you know, it's, it's wise to know the enemy's tactics and the New Testament is full of just really admonition for us as believers, how we stand against him. So that's what I want to talk about today. First John chapter 2 is where I want to start. Verse 15, New King James says this, uh, the aged apostle John, towards the end of his life, wrote First John, a wonderful book from a beloved apostle. He was the apostle of love. In fact, church history says that uh, the uh, Roman authorities uh, were so angry with him, they couldn't kill him. You know, the other apostles uh, all were martyred for the faith. They tried to kill him in various ways. He just wouldn't die. They 
it was said that he, they put him in this boiling vat of oil. He, he overcame it. He, he didn't die. So they banished him to the Isle of Patmos. And even there, God used him to pen the book of Revelation. I mean, Jesus appeared to him. You can't, this guy just don't quit, right? First John 2, 15, he said, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Can't you hear his old voice saying that? For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, pride of life. It's not of the Father, but is of the world, and the world is passing away. And the lusts of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. New Living Translation, uh, do, not love, uh, do not love this world nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you don't have the love of the Father in you. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure. It's lust of the flesh, or craving for physical pleasure. Craving for everything we see, for the lust of the eyes in King James. And pride in our achievements and possessions for the pride of life. These are not from the Father, but are from this world. And this world's fading away along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. Let's talk, take those one at a time. The lust of the flesh. The word lust uh, in the New Testament, anytime you see it, when we think of lust, we automatically think of sexual lust. It can mean that. But the word uh, in and of itself, bare bones, just means a very, very strong, passionate desire. So, I mean, I guess you could lust for chocolate. <laughs> or or, or um, Five Guys hamburgers. I, I don't know. Uh, or it could be anything. So it's a strong desire. So the lust of the flesh. And how many all of us have to deal with the flesh? So let's talk about that, about that a little bit. When I think about this, when my mind goes here, so we're talking about the things, how, how the, the methods of attack the enemy uses. The first way he attacks us is the lust of the flesh. All of us have to deal with the flesh. When I think about that, I think about Jesus' half-brother James. In fact, he didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah until the very end of Jesus' life. And he came to him and, and was converted and um, was one of the leaders of the church there. James chapter 1, verse 12, Blessed is the man who endures temptation. He's talking to believers here. He's a really practical guy. He understood that all of us put our feet on the ground the same way. We pull our britches up the same way. We all live the same way. We all have the same challenges. Blessed is the believer, you could say, who endures temptation. For when he's been approved, he'll see, receive the crown of life. I didn't put this in my notes. Sorry, guys. Uh, crown of life, which uh, the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he's tempted, I'm tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil nor does he himself tempt anyone. Verse 14, and this is what I want to get to, but each one, each believer, that means you and me, each believer is tempted how? When he, and that word he is for the human race, men and women, but each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Now, that's, that's full of something right there. How are you tempted? You're tempted when... When, when, when something attracts you, that drawing away, you're, you're, you think, think of somebody going down a path and something's pulling them to the side. Or if you ever walked your dog and he, 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 uh, he grabs a smell on the ground and he starts moving. My dog was 95 pounds and he could try to move me. I'm a pretty big guy, but he could move some of my family members right off the path. Each one is tempted when he's moved away, drawn away, slowly moving off the, from the direction he's going. By what? By his own desires. 
So, so I want to answer that question in a minute. What are your own desires? Well, that's interesting. See, the enemy will use that against you. And everybody individually has your own set of your desires. What is that? We'll, we'll define that in a minute. Each one is tempted. Each believer's tempted when he's drawn away by his own desires and enticed. You could translate that baited. You know, you got the hook in the water, fish these little worm wiggling, and boy's got to bite that hook. So, so something's out there that's enticing you. You're moving away from your path of righteousness. And man, you've been, you, that, that looks really good. That's how we are tempted. We're tempted by stuff that's, so, so look at it this way. You're tempted by things that are already in you. Get it? So, so, so pastor, what would that be? Well, you go back to Romans chapter 6. I love Romans chapter 6 because it talks about the fact that the old man's sin, that is the sin nature when you're, uh, that you had from the day you were born until you were born again, gets obliterated by the Holy Spirit. and You become a new creature in Christ Jesus. Old things pass away. All things become new, right? So, but uh, you come down, verse, down the verses of Romans 6 to the almost the very end of the chapter. And this is Amplified New Testament. He says this, I'm speaking in familiar human terms because of your natural limitations. For as you yielded, now watch, for as you yielded your bodily members and faculties as servants to impurity and ever-increasing lawlessness. Stop right there at that comma. As you yielded, look at it again, as you yielded your bodily members. What is that? We'll talk about it. And faculties, what is that referring to? As servants to impurity and ever-increasing lawlessness. Now, how did you do that? Well, what is he saying there? That is, before we knew Jesus, there were certain things that we allowed into our thoughts. We are certain, there are certain things that we allowed our emotions to be inflamed with, right? There are certain things that our wills easily yielded to when that came up in life said we're gonna do that your mind said you want to do that your flesh said you want to do that and your will said okay and you yielded so 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 mind emotions will and then physical body before you knew jesus there were certain things that you allowed your physical body to do that if you do them now they're sin is that correct so we all have the capacity for habit which can be used good or bad 21 to 28 days begins the uh, new pattern of habit in a person's life. So if you could do something for, you know, three or four weeks, you'll begin the creation of a new habit. See, the enemy knows that, so he tries to keep us entrenched in the old habit patterns that we had before we knew Jesus. Is that correct? So think about it this way. When you come to Jesus, the old man sin. I mean, Jesus put the death nail on him. You become a new creature, correct? Old things pass away, all things become new. So, so that, new, that, that person you are on the inside changes. That means the desire to do wrong leaves your spirit. How many could agree with that? When, see, that, that differentiates a believer from an unbeliever. See, believers can sin just like unbelievers, but the difference is you don't have the want to to sin inside of you. Is that true? So after I came to Jesus, I tried to do a couple of the few of the things that I did before I knew Jesus. Every single time I did them, I felt bad. 
I used to cuss really good. I mean, I could beat most anybody because I'm a wordsmith. And, and, you know, when an expletive slipped out of my mouth, I've heard me say it, I dropped a, a big, big can of green beans on my toe in the back room of a grocery store. I let one out, boy, bloop. And what was the difference? Man, it tore me up. I used to, I used to could curse it with, you know, it didn't bother me a bit. I just like everybody else. I did it that day, and that day right there showed me something's different with you, Mitch. And see, it showed me Jesus came into me. He made me a new creature. He gave me new interests and new desires. The day before, I'm not proud of any of this, I'm going to tell you. But I'm a new person. You know, the day before I came to Jesus, I was lusting just like any young man my age would with everybody, all the other employees, guy employees at the grocery store. And the next day I came to Jesus. When that temptation to do that came again, it grabbed me so badly. When my eyes tried to do what they did before, can't do that. There was conviction inside. How many know what I'm talking about? So, so, so what I'm saying is your, your mind, your emotions, your will, and your body, they're full of things that you allowed before you knew Jesus. You go back to James chapter 1, each one is tempted when he's drawn away by his own desires. What are your own desires? It's whatever you let your, into your mind, whatever you allowed your emotions to be inflamed with. Some people still have an anger problem post-sin, uh, post after Jesus comes into your life. Why? Because they had it before. Some people have a potty mouth, or, or, and they don't clean it up because they gossip, but they did that before they knew Jesus. How many get what I'm saying? Uh, some people have a control issue. They're a narcissist after they come to Jesus because they haven't yet allowed the, the residue that the old man of sin put in their mind, their emotions, their will, their body, hasn't allowed the Word of God to root it out. Yes or no? What's well, quiet in here? Does this make sense? So see, every person is tempted. Every believer is tempted. So your temptations are peculiar to you. And, you know, there are familiar spirits, perhaps, that know where you've been, what you've been doing, who you've befriended, what you've been up to in life, and they'll try to sneak some of that stuff right back up in you. Remember what you used to do? Hang on, hang that carrot in front of you. Remember what you used to do? Remember that? Didn't you like that? Let's do it again. <laughs> You'll have fun. You won't have fun this time because old man sin's dead. Is that right? Every person is tempted when he's drawn away by his own desire. So again, Romans 6, 19, as you yielded your bodily members and faculties and servants to impurity, never increasing lawlessness. So now, so he turns to positive. So now yield your bodily members and faculties once for all as servants to righteousness, right being and doing, which leads to sanctification. Isn't that great? And so what does he say? He says, he's, he's saying, I'm going to talk about it in a minute, change your thoughts. If you change your thoughts, thoughts fuel emotions. If you want your emotions to change, change what you're thinking about. If you're having a bad day and you're feeling bad, what you're thinking bad. If you're feeling bad, you're thinking bad. Yes or no? How do you change the feelings? You don't change feelings by saying, I'm going to feel better, I'm going to feel better. No, no. You change feelings by thinking better. Change it. Right? Right? So he says, so now yield your bodily members and faculties once for all 
for all his servants, for righteousness, right being and doing. So again, the residual effect is what I call it. Of the sin nature, see, it's, he's, he's extricated. That person is gone. He's, he's left the person that you were inside, and you become a new creature in Christ. But the residue, so your mind, your emotions, your will, and your body. Does that make sense? So you just all, and, and the enemy will use that against you uh, all the rest of your life. And, and for me, I, I, I know full well what I was before I knew Jesus, and you wouldn't like that person. I don't like that person either. So, you know, I know if I just keep myself full of the Word of God, and stay prayed up, I'll stay away from that. But if I ever left Jesus, left the Word, left praying, that old person would rise back up. Now, I've been in Jesus for this 46 and a half years. I've seen a lot of people that really love Jesus, but they didn't protect themselves, and what they were came back. How many can identify? See what I'm saying? I don't want to be that, do you? So the Apostle Paul encourages us, and here's several translations of 1 Corinthians 9, 27. I really like what he said here, he said, I discipline my body like an athlete. I love that. They watch what they eat. They watch how much they sleep. They have to exercise astutely. They have to do it just right if they're going to win the race. I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Isn't that great? Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. Now, what, now what's the inference? He had challenges just like you and just like me. He had temptations to sin just like we all do. So he said, I've got to deal with my body, my physical person. And I think in saying that, he's, he was also saying, I've got, also saying, I've got to deal with my mind, my emotions, my will, and my body. All of them will, will tag team against my spiritual nature to try to get me off the path. 1 Corinthians 9.27, God's Word Translation. Uh, it says, rather I toughen my body with punches and make it my slave. And that good? So that I will not be disqualified after I've spread the good news to others. When he said, uh, in fact, one translation says, I beat my body black and blue as to produce livid spots. <laughs> so, so, so what's the undertone? There's a struggle. Your flesh is wanting to go where your spirit says no. And you gotta, you gotta wrestle it down. For, uh, uh, English Standard Version says, uh, 1 Corinthians 9, 27, I discipline my body and keep it under control. I, I like things that are very, that's very clear, isn't it? Lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. So how do you break a habit? Do you break a physical habit, mental habit, emotional habit, volitional habit by saying, I'm not going to do that anymore. No, no, no. You, you break it by replacing it. So I've taught on this so much, uh, and I've taught it in my blogs. I've taught it here so many times, Ephesians 4, Colossians 3, uh, Romans uh, 13. Uh, Paul uses the term, put off the old man, put on the new man. When he says, put off the old person with his deeds and put on the new man, new person, how do you do it? Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. How do you change your behavior? You change it a little bit at a time. We change behavior by replacing it with something else. So you don't change these old things by grunting and straining against them. You change them by replacing them 
a little bit at a time. So how do you do that? If you've just came to Jesus, this is really good information. And if you've known Jesus for 50 years, this is good information. Here's how habits change one step at a time. You change a habit by catching it first of all after the fact. That is, you have a habit of responding a certain way, saying something a certain way, being proud, arrogant, egotistical, angry, whatever, or it may be something of the flesh, and you just, there it is, you did it. You feel bad. Well, what do you do first? Repent. Say, God, I did that. I don't want to do that anymore. I've been doing that for years. I don't want it anymore. Father, forgive me for that. So you catch a bad habit after the fact. If you don't catch it, you'll never stop it. If you just kind of poo-poo it away, well, it's just me. No, 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 that's sin. That's residue that is no longer, that is no longer a part of your insides. Yes or no? So what do you do? Say, I don't want that. How do you say, I don't want that? You close the door to it by confessing it. If we confess our sins, the Greek word for confess, 1 John 1, 9, homologeo, to say the same thing, to say what somebody else says. If we confess, if we say about our sin what God says about it, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us. Lord, I judge that. I didn't want to say that like I've been saying it for 15 years. I'm done with that. And I ask you to forgive me. That habit's broken in Jesus' name. Right? Right? So you catch it after the fact. Here's what happens. You keep doing. I don't care how long it takes. Just keep doing that. Just keep doing that. If it's an entrenched habit on whatever level. And if you'll just, if you'll keep doing that, you'll get to the point that in the middle of it, uh, you're talking, you know what? I, I shouldn't be saying that. Forgive me for just saying that. I have a bad attitude. My attitude smells. I'm sorry. You give me a moment, you go somewhere and say, God, I'm wrong. I'm sorry. Forgive me. How many hear me? That's how you break a habit. You, you break it by, first of all, catching it after the fact, then in the middle, and you just do it on and on. I don't know how long it'll take. It'll take however. You know, generally speaking, um, three to four weeks begins, begins to change a habit. And you can actually retrain your person with new habits, right? And then, and then one day you'll, you'll, you'll start... And your flesh or your mind or your emotions will just say, go do it. And you say, uh-uh. Not now, not ever. You'll find scripture that deal with that weak area of your life. That's reinforcements. How many hear what I just said? I've done that with so many areas of life, y'all. It just works. Paul said this, Romans 12, 1 and 2. I beg you, therefore, I beseech you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, by all the compassions of God, One translation says that you present your bodies, here's a paradox, a living sacrifice. They had dead animal sacrifices. He wanted us to give our bodies just like the priests gave the animal sacrifices to atone for sin under the old covenant. He said, no, no, give a living sacrifice. Give your body. Don't let it do what it wants to do. Give, Give it in sacrifice to Jesus. Holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. In verse 2, he says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. I love Weiss' translation, the very end of, of Romans 12, 1, where he says, I beg you, please, brethren, through the um, mercies of God, uh, give your bodies as a living sacrifice. And the very last part of that, he says, um, uh, which is your reasonable service, New King James says, Weist really explains it well. It's reasonable or rational in that this service of giving your body to God 
is performed by the exercise of the mind. Now, what does that tell you? If you want to change a habit, change what you're thinking. What are you thinking about that thing? If you're having problems with anger, find the scriptures on anger. If you're having problems with gossip, find the scriptures about gossip. If you're having, uh, if you're having problems with your mouth in general, find the scriptures about words and get a hold of them. How many hear me? If you're having problems with sexual immorality and wrong thinking and all of that, find the scriptures that deal with that. How many hear what I'm saying? Do it on every level. Do it on every level. If you'll find the scriptures and fill yourself full of the word, that's what Paul said. You'll begin, to, you'll begin the process of renewing your mind. And the process of mind renewal takes the residual effects of that old man and it starts pushing them out of your life. Is that good news? So he says, the lusts of the flesh. Secondly, the lusts of the eyes. Psalm 101, verse 3, are the strong desires of the eyes. Psalm 101, 1, New Living Translation, I will sing of your love and justice, Lord. I will praise you with song. I'll be careful to live a blameless life. When will you come to help me? I will lead a life of integrity in my own home. I will refuse to look at anything vile and vulgar. Wow. Isn't that good? I hate all who deal crookedly. I will have nothing to do with them. Then Job 31.1 was an awesome scripture. I have made a covenant with my eyes. Why then should I look upon a young woman? And then Jesus said this, Matthew 5.28, but I say to you, whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So again, today, if you're going to have pure eyes, you only have pure eyes on purpose. Yes or no? Because there's junk everywhere you go. Is it true? And I just, you know, I hardly, I don't even want to look at Facebook. I don't give a hoot about it. I just don't want that stuff in my life. I don't want other things online. I'm very careful with what I look at and watch because everywhere you go, there are things that your eyes shouldn't see as believers. Yes or no? So I don't know about you. I've made a decision. I've made a covenant with my eyes. Raise one hand toward heaven. Say it out loud with me. Heavenly Father, tonight, in a fresh way, I make a covenant with you and a covenant with my eyes. And Lord, I'm asking you to keep me from the lust of the eyes, all of these things in our culture that are there to entice and to move me away from you. I set myself with you tonight and I make a covenant with you. And I ask you to help me to be one of those persons that keeps their eyes pure. I make a covenant with you with my eyes in Jesus' name. Is that good? Then he says, talks about the pride of life. This is a big one today, particularly. Isaiah 57, 15, the high and lofty one who lives in eternity, the holy one says. And I mentioned this Sunday at the beginning of the first service. I live in a high and holy place with those who are, whose spirits are contrite and humble. I will restore the crushed spirit of the humble and revive the courage of those with repentant hearts. I mentioned when I, Sunday I mentioned uh, as I started the service when I first came to the Lord, I, I just recognized the real root of pride. You know, you don't recognize really who you are till you come to Jesus. It's like he takes the, mat, the veil off of your mind and off of your eyes. You see yourself or what you really are, and you get to, how many have had that, had that thought that, I, I really thought, I really acted that way? I really did that? I, I was that way? 
I look back sometimes on my teenage years because I came to the Lord just before I was 18. How could I be that way? My friends would never, they just wouldn't know me now because I'm not the same kind of person. But pride was such a huge deal. And I'm not saying I'm Mr. Humble today because I constantly humble myself. But this scripture, it formed me. And then I was reading through the New Testament, found 1 Peter 5, Amplified really, really helped me, particularly my formative years of walking with the Lord, to deal with my personal pride. And all of us have an element of pride. Every human has to deal with pride. Yes or no? In, in, in fact, I could go so far with it. Uh, some of the things that seem so self-effacing and humble are actually proud, proud things. You can be proud in your giving. You can be proud in helping others. You can do things out of self-effort. So, so some people will think you're really something, and it's really pride, and it looks like humility, but it's false humility. How many hear me? First Peter 5, 5. Likewise, you who are younger and of lesser rank, be subject to the elders, the ministers and spiritual guides of the church, giving them due respect and yielding to their counsel. Clothe or apron yourselves. Love the way the Amplified says this, all of you. With humility as a garb of a servant so that its covering cannot possibly be stripped from you. With freedom from pride and arrogance toward one another. For God sets himself against the proud. Now, now you know, that bothers, does that bother you? For God set, you want God to set himself against you? For God sets himself against the proud, the insolent, the overbearing, the disdainful the presumptuous, the boastful. And he opposes, frustrates, defeats them, but gives grace and favor, blessing to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves, demote, lower yourselves in your own estimation under the mighty hand of God, that in due time he may exalt you. And I've told you, I've done this for years, and I still do it every morning when I get up. I read my Bible, and I read books, and then I turn right around the little chair I'm in, and, uh, and I kneel down. And the first thing out of my mouth, Lord, I humble myself today. You need to always remember that pride can get a hold of you. And pride goes before destruction, right? And so you can think, you, can, you know, you, you can wear your spirituality as a badge of pride. Particularly if you've been in the Lord a long time and know a lot of Scripture, know a lot of Word. A preacher, a pastor, somebody like me that knows a lot of the Word, been a lot of places, had a lot of experiences. You can have pride in your experiences, pride in your accomplishments. You know, you've got to keep yourself low. Then you've got to be careful as, as you learn and as you grow that you don't have this air about you that you may never say it, but you think it inside, and maybe others don't, but God sees it, that you think you know more than the people around you. That's arrogance. That's pride. Do you know we can learn from children? So the older you get, the more need for humility you have. Is it true? Come on, hold your hands up again. Lord God, would you search us? Would you search me? Lord, any area of, of our life as we just got our hands up in front of you. If there's any vestige of pride in what we do and how we speak. Even in me, Lord, as I stand, as sit in front of the people in ministry, it's any element of pride that can't receive from someone else. That, that inside, nobody say, we don't even say it, but you see it. We think we're better than others. That's so bad. Lord, deliver us from pride. So, Lord, we humble ourselves. Say it out loud. Lord, I make it a fresh decision tonight 
to humble myself under your mighty hand so that you can exalt me in due time. Thank you for showing me my pride in Jesus' name. Is that good? Uh, as I conclude, I'll do this fairly quickly. Three keys to living free from the pull of the flesh. Just three things. And, you know, I got this many years ago. Uh, my job, uh, first job uh, in ministry when I was promoted in the church in Tulsa, became a part of the pastoral staff, is I really, I talked to people. Well, I trained uh, people to help me, and then I spent a good portion of the day talking to people on behalf of the pastor. And... Um, and I learned a lot. I learned a lot about me. And then I learned a lot about others. And, and one thing I found out is, is 1 Corinthians 10, 13 is true. There's no temptation taking you, but what everybody else goes through exactly the same way. Everybody's the same, you know, different wrapper, different bow, different box. Same stuff we all deal with. Everybody's the same. Everybody. I don't care if we're old or young, everybody's the same. We all have the same kinds of challenges. Even if you see a person who seems like they always have it together, behind that having togetherness, they have challenges. How many hear what I'm saying? So, you know, this is one thing I remember. When I was young in my first Bible school, one of my Bible school friends came to me one day and said, Mitch, I don't know how you can keep it together so well all the time. You look like you never have a problem. I said, oh, my God. I said, oh, my Lord. I said, well, I'm just like you. And so I'm just saying, you can have such a strong personality that your persona is. Everybody think you got all your ducks in a row all the time, and that's never true. All of us have the same need to seek God every day. Yes or no? You never get to the point that you've arrived. We're always in the process. Always, always. So, three keys to living free from the pull of the flesh as we quickly conclude. Number one, this is the most important. Maintain. Everybody say maintain. That means do it every day. A strong devotional life with Jesus. You'll never get away from that. Uh, you've heard me say this about years ago in our, our um, uh, encounter with the men last year. I taught on this, but uh, I'm so glad when in 1983... Um, the Lord spoke to me and, and said, Mitch, if I'm first in your life, make me first in your day. And that challenged me because I was not a morning person. But that began my habit now of early rising and getting up early in the morning. And then, you know, that was even before Susan. I had her four children, and I'm glad I developed the habit. I get up early, get a cup of coffee, and read my Bible and pray. You know, if you'll have that devotional time every morning, that's the impetus for a godly life. If you barely read your Bible, barely get up in time to, you know, just, you know, throw some coffee in your belly, get a shower, get yourself ready and, and squeak into the driveway at work. If you don't have time with God, there is little impetus inside of you to resist the temptations from without. Yes or no? So don't forget Sunday I mentioned uh, Acts 1-8, you receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you'll be witnesses. That word power the word dunamis, and we get the word dynamo from that. Well, even a dynamo, it's an electric motor that takes, a raw, takes raw energy from, from oil, from coal, from nuclear fission or hydroelectric power. It's turned, you know, by water and, or, or by steam, fueled by steam, hot water. And uh, it takes raw power and it translates it into usable energy. 
So, so your, your person on the inside needs some raw power. And that raw power is the Word of God. Did you hear what I just said? And that raw power is prayer. God will translate that into spiritual dynamism in your own life. Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. John 6, 63, it is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words I speak to you are spirit, and they are life. That means the Bible is different than any book I read. When I read any other piece of literature, even books written by uh, believers, they're not nearly what the Word of God is to us. That's why if you'll spend time reading the Word, the Holy Spirit will take the words you read. He'll turn it into spiritual dynamism. Did you hear what I said? Number two, watch your close friendships. Over the years, I've, I've seen this uh, be, the, be the falling away of many a believer. 1 Corinthians 15, 33, Amplified says this, Do not be deceived and misled! Exclamation. Now, why do you say don't be deceived and misled? Because you could be. So he emphasizes it, right? Evil companionships, communion, associations, corrupt and depraved, good manners and morals and character. It's hard for you to live beyond your friends. Uh, J. Oswald Sanders, spiritual leadership. The person you will be five years from now will be determined by the kinds of books you read and the kinds of friends you entertain. So if you're changing your life, you may have to change some of your friends. If you're not willing to change some of those friends, you'll go right back in the ditch where they are, and you'll live there. So let me also say this. If you're a believer and you're not married, and you want to be married, I've been there. It was a long time ago. Uh, don't, um, don't date unbelievers. Don't do any missionary dating. That's the word I was looking for. Let's say, well, you know, he doesn't know the Lord, but he's a nice guy. He's cute, the girl says. And, you know, he's got a good personality. He's got a good job. He seems like he treats people well. I checked out his family. He's a pretty nice guy. If he's not saved, don't mess with him. Same way, guys, girls, she's a cute girl, man, I tell you. She comes from a great family, you know. She just seems she's like she's got all. If she doesn't know Jesus, leave her alone. Because you're probably not going to save her or him. It's, it's easier for them to pull you down rather than you lift them up. How many hear me? I don't know why I have to say these things, but I do because people, I uh, just see what they do and they mess up. And then people that have a strong walk with God lose it because they, they have the wrong close associations. For me, when I came to the Lord, I had friend, people who were my friends actually before I started school. I mean, pre-five years. I started school at age five and then turned six. I had people that I was friends with when I was three or four years old in church. And we went to church, but they weren't saved. They'd live like me. I, we, we were rascals. We were a mess. I came to Jesus, and they were still doing their stuff and wanting me to go do it. And you know what? I finally had to say, I, I love you as my friend, but I'm not going to spend time with you like I did the way I did before. Now, you know, I'd still say hi to them and talk to them as far as being friends and doing things and hanging out and having a little simple conversation. Not that way, because they would keep rubbing off on me, and I wasn't strong enough yet to resist all that. How many hear what I'm saying? Uh, having said that, yes, Jesus was a friend to sinners. But it's difficult. If you are a really close friend to a person who doesn't know the Lord, 
and you're really, really close, you're probably compromising somewhere. Think about it. It's quiet in here. Woo-hoo. Number two, three, again, three things to living to keep to, to live free from the pull of the flesh. Maintain a strong devotional life with Jesus. Watch close friendships. Number three, draw, and, and this is it, draw a line of demarcation between you and what could tempt you to stray from Jesus. A line of demarcation is a definitive line that you won't cross for any reason. So what is that to you? Whatever, uh, go back to James 1.14. Go back, back to Romans 6.19. What were you before you knew Jesus? That's the stuff that tempts you now. Now, some people, like for me, I smoke pot. I, I don't even care about that. I mean, you can smoke weed right in front of me. I say, you nasty. And you smell nasty. I, I'm not tempted by it. But other, some people are tempted by things. Uh, I, I know alcoholics, they don't need to be they don't need to go to a bar with somebody and drink. They don't need to drink in somebody's home because that's their Achilles heel. How many hear me? Huh? Or for you, it might be sexual sin. It may be pornography. It may be anger. It may be self-centeredness. It may be, it may be money, the love of money. You gotta, how many know you've got to be careful? Whatever it is for you, keep yourself clean from that. Draw the line. Say, you know what? I'm not, I'm not going there. There are certain things I refuse to read. There are certain places I refuse to go. There are certain things I refuse to watch on TV because I'm going to keep myself, right? So what, how do you need to draw the line of demarcation in your life? If you'll do those three things, you'll stay strong in God and you'll just keep gaining strength as you walk in a humble way towards God. How many hear me? Well, that's enough for tonight. Lift your hands up with me. Glory to God. Lord God, <laughs> He that is born of God keeps himself, keeps herself, and the wicked one does not touch us. 1 John 5, 19. Let the grace of God come into every person in this room. Let the strength of God rise up in us. Let the Spirit of God rise up in us. And Lord, anything in us that would want to cater to the flesh, mentally, emotionally, volitionally, physically, Lord, move us away from that. Show us what it is for us that is our own strong desire. And Lord, help us to steer clear of it. Help us to spend time with you. Help us to watch our close friendships. And Lord, help us to draw that line that we don't cross. Keep us, Lord. I pray that every person under the sound of my voice would find themselves in heaven in the glory of God for eternity. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Lord, let the grace of God manifest in every life in this room. In Jesus' name.